This is the West Coast Project for Better Call Saul, and I'm Mike, and I'm here with Kelly. Hi, Kelly. Hello. Hey, Kelly, um, this, well, before we talk about this one, have you been watching some of the added features for Saul, like the Story Sync or the Insider Podcast has come out a couple times now? I have not been watching the, the Story Sync, uh, but I have a lot of uh people that are giving me some stuff they've noticed and i have a lot of fun facts and cool stuff um but no i haven't been watching anything special kelly dixon is running that insider podcast just like she did with breaking bad and it's really good oh yes i've been listening to some of that as well uh and yeah she does a great job i really enjoy those yeah she had vince gilligan on and i think peter gould and and saul or Odenkirk a couple times. It's been good. It's been really interesting. So, Kelly, I heard something. Did we decide that this nail salon that Saul lives in and works his office out of, that was the one that they tried to sell on Breaking Bad or not sell? Not sell. Because I heard that it is. How how did you hear that it is not? Because uh, Vince Gilligan and the crew did not approach this nail salon until well after Breaking Bad had wrapped. Uh, and I saw the news report on it with the owner being interviewed, and he was all excited that they were going to be using it for Better Call Saul, but not the same nail salon. That's cool. If you can, do you have access to that report somewhere? Can you send me the link? It was, it was on the news somewhere, um, and there was some rumors. I called it today. They said that if you call the phone number that's on the um, that's on the sign there that it gives you a funny message from one of the people there. Uh, I didn't get that result, but, um, well, it'd be cool to put that rumor to rest one way or the other. Like it's, it either is not the beauty salon or it is. Cause a lot of people are saying that it is, and they're calling it like super trivia. Like, Hey, that's the nail salon that they tried to sell back in breaking bad. They're well, I think the only, the only evidence they have is, Oh, it's a nail salon. It must be the same one. Um, and I was actually going to do a fun fact about that because that's a very tiresome rumor uh, that I've been trying to battle. But um, if anyone can give me any information otherwise, but I 100% know that it's not that same one. Yeah, yeah, it's not a huge deal. Just curious. It'd be, it'd be good to know either way. Yeah. So, Kelly, this was my least favorite of the first three of this, this episode, Nacho. How'd you like it? Um, I thought it was good, but yes, the first one out of the gate and then seeing Tuco on the second one uh, was just a really wild ride. And this one did slow down a bit, um, but kind of with Breaking Bad, the same thing. They had a little bit of those lull moments, um, but still interesting. And I think that the relationship with Mike is strengthening. So that's actually pretty exciting. I think we got the plot kind of set up, set in stone, and it looks like it could be potentially pretty slippery. Uh, Nacho's kind of involved now, and there's a lot of money involved, and we we literally saw the money, so that's that's good. Uh, I guess it could spin out of control a little bit more and and still stay pretty interesting. So I'm still curious. It's just uh, this one was a little bit slower in developing from the from the first two. So right, it was written by Tom Schnauz, and what's interesting about this one is it was directed by Terry McDonough. And Terry McDonough was the same director who did Better Call Saul for Breaking Bad. Oh, the episode Better Call Saul, like 208? Mm-hmm. Okay. Right. Well, we get to see Jimmy McGill back in Chicago in the jail. I think that's even before he was a lawyer. 
Chuck has to come and bail him out or get him out of his troubles in, in the Cook County Jail. And it's interesting. Chuck has to drop his gear in that box just like now Saul does at Chuck's house. He has to unload his goods into that police drop. Right. That's a great catch. I thought that, yeah, he has to ground himself. Uh, and I noticed that when uh, Jimmy McGill comes out, he says, here's Johnny. And he says that another time in the episode as well. And it's interesting to find out what's he in jail for. Yeah, what do you think he was doing? What do you think his criminal... I know we see what he's kind of in trouble for here, but if he's not a lawyer yet, I wonder how he's making his money. Is it, is it all slip and falls? Possibly, but he said it was uh, just a simple Chicago sunroof, which... I had no idea what that was, and I went on Reddit, and there is a lot of confusion and a lot of uh, misinformation, I think. But what I gathered is that when somebody puts their uh, private parts on somebody's head is what the Chicago sunroof is supposed to be. Yeah, tough to make a living at that. <laughs> I so think I he's... Of being a possible sexual assault, and um, they said probably even like even more a Bears fan, which I would think would be Chicago. Still tough to make a living at that too. It, it looks yeah. like he's just in trouble here for for goofiness, like indecent exposure and assault and property damage. Not like he's uh, caught stealing or like I, we still don't really know what his gig is to to make a living, right? Even a criminal living. Uh, but so Chuck comes to save him, I guess, all the way from New Mexico. He's helping his little brother out and um Saul just says or Jimmy just says just tell me what to do save me um and that was it for the opening scene that was the opening credits he looks like he's in pretty bad shape here he does and he he uses can we talk strategy which is a, a line we've heard him say several times in Breaking Bad so a little bit of Saul seeps through here every once in a while all right, and so now we go to the infamous nail salon, whether it's been seen before or not. And Saul gets his cucumber water, or Jimmy, Jimmy, Saul, Bob, whatever we call him these days. Gene. <laughs> what was his other name, his very, very first name, or his very last name at the Cinnabon? Gene. Gene, yeah. <laughs> um, and he puts a little something into that water, right? Some gin or vodka or something? It looks like it. That cucumber water looks delicious to me. Yeah, I don't know, Kelly. It's been sitting in that big tank for who knows how long, and you're in kind of a health place, like like nail polishes and hairs getting done, and I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. It just looked good to me. I guess the, the the rest of it that you mentioned it, yeah, it just looked like really refreshing. Maybe with the vodka to kill off some of the germs, it, it'd be good. Yeah. So Saul calls Kim. Kim is the uh, attorney at Hamlin really late at night, it's like 2 a.m., but he's not talking dirty. It's it's a PG call, Kelly. And uh, he wants her to come over. It looks like he's made these calls before because she seems kind of used to it. Right. I want to know what their relationship is because there was a flirty undertone to it. And she said, I'm not going to talk dirty to you this time. And I and you're not going to talk dirty to me. So it seems like she, like you said, she's familiar with those late night calls. Yeah, and we already know they're flirty because of the way he borrowed her cigarette and put it right back in her mouth. I mean, you don't do that with a stranger on the corner. Right. But he calls, he calls her to talk about this Kettleman case. And I think, I think Kelly, that Saul's acting coy here. I think he, I think he has, well, we know he has good intentions. He's going to ultimately try to save the Kettlemans. But I think he may be trying to pry a little bit of information here out of Kim. 
Right, and not stealthily at all. I mean, she's on to him right away. Yeah, she seems smarter than him. He hasn't really reached his full lawyer chop shed at this point in his career. Right, and what's cool about her, Rhea Seahorn, is I guess she would stay and hang out at the on the set, even on the days that she wasn't working, and Vince Gilligan said that's pretty rare. She kind of wants to get to know the flow of how things work, which is what I would do if I was an actor on a show. So yeah, she's that's cool. involved in her role. I really like her. Yeah, I like her too. She seems really likable and she seems like a cool a cool character. I don't know what she's like in real life, but she does seem like a cool character. Right. So Saul's trying to save these Kettlemans. He knows it's kind of like uh, Fargo, right? He's kind of trying to undo the deal he started like uh, the Fargo guy did. He knew that it was get, getting out of hand and he tried to undo it at some point. And Saul's kind of trying to do that here, I think. Um, but the other thing we learn about this nail salon is that it is his home base. Chuck's, he's not rooming with Chuck. He's really living in this nail salon. Right. And it's interesting because um, a lot of those women that you see when he walks through actually work there. Oh, yeah, in real life. That's fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that'd be kind of cool if you were working at a nail salon and all of a sudden you're on a hit TV show. Yeah, except for the fact that you're working in a nail salon. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> so he makes up this improvised voice device to get uh, a get a call through to the Kettlemans. What did you think of that? That was kind of clever. I didn't. I guess that's probably a real thing, huh? The the cardboard tube with the with the cover on it to disguise your voice. Exactly. And I'm like, what is he rolling off that? He's wasting a lot of paper towels there. But it wasn't effective. Well, it wasn't so effective as we've seen. But not a bad idea. So he calls up the Kettlemans. They have Team Kettleman phone message, um, but he calls like five times, finally gets through and tells them, or tries to, he tries to tell them they're in danger. They don't understand the improvised voice device. He has to finally just tell them. They seem a little slow-witted, those Kettlemans, but I guess they know that the danger is somewhere looming because of this call. Saul does get to warn them. So now he goes, he's battling with this prosecutor, like, endlessly and this prosecutor keeps saying the same thing over and over but it looks like he's messed up the cases kind of like Saul did with Badger back in Breaking Bad right absolutely that's what I thought as well the guy's a real hard ass he just doesn't give any lead way to Saul at all or to Jimmy at all he's either a hard ass or he's kind of a kind of a lunkhead like he can't process anything more complicated than this is the crime this is what I'm charging like he can't, he can't process it but he does realize he messed up the cases, and I guess he gives Saul the benefit of the doubt, or Jimmy the benefit of the doubt, and gives him the lower lower charge. But this whole world that Saul's in is his office. The bathroom, the courtroom, the whole, the whole area is where he does all of his business. It doesn't need to be just in the courtroom. I thought that was pretty cool. Right. Not glamorous whatsoever. So Kim asks him about the, this warning um, because the Kettlemans are missing. Um, do you think the Kettlemans saw? Now, we, we got a hint that that was really Nacho casing the outside, right, from when they peeked out their window? Yes. So do you think they actually saw him, or do you think they were just going on Saul's call? I think that they were going on Saul's call. I think they thought, well, it's, it's now or never. It's time to go. Yeah, I think so, too, because that he looked pretty dark in that car. It looked like it would be pretty hard to see him. And the way they were looking out that front door window, it didn't look like they were really noticing anything. Right, and they were really protesting their innocence when they first met up with, 
with Jimmy. So they're probably like, well, they're probably onto us. If we're getting an anonymous call in the middle of the night, we should probably go. Plus, that's the worst thing to do, right? If you think somebody's spying on your house, you don't just put your face up to the window to look out. (laughs) You kind of slink behind the curtains and peek out. Right. Yeah, like you said, I don't know if they're very bright. Yeah, exactly. So I guess we see Saul and Mike again now. They're get, this is getting kind of tiring, this whole you don't have enough credits to get out. It's three bucks. This time Saul jumps the gun. He pushes the button and just zooms past Mike. And Mike doesn't look, doesn't look very happy, but he doesn't look very mad either. He's just kind of stuck in this dead-end job. He just kind of watches it. What do you think about that? I agree. I, I was hoping that maybe this needs to be leading up to something. As we know, when we saw the extended trailers before the show started, that this scene was was bound to happen at some point. But, right, it's like, okay, you don't have enough stickers. Let's get on with it. So I'm thinking there's got to be character development. Yeah, I hope Saul gets on with it, and I hope the show kind of gets on with it, too, because it's every time he pulls up now, it's like, okay, he's not going to have enough credits, and he's going to get in argue with, arguments with Mike and... I mean, I got, I kind of got the point there. But uh, Saul gets out of there and goes to the Kettlemans just to make sure that he can tell them this message. And the Hamlin group is there, right? They're, uh, they're already there trying to figure out what's going on. And they ask why Saul's there. And there's no sign of the family and no notes. But Kim knows that he called, so she's on to him. She, again, is pretty smart about all this. I thought the scene was really somber and the music was kind of muted and the colors and stuff. It looked looked pretty unhappy, like something that bad had happened to these Kettlemans. Right, and he had to come clean with her that he had done it. And she had mentioned, well, the longer you stand here, the more I have to explain why you're here. So that kind of clued me into that maybe they had had a past relationship. Like, you got to go. I can't explain why you're here. Yeah, definitely. I think we got to count on that being the truth, that they've got something going Probably maybe under the radar while they were both, or while something was going on at Hamlin or something. But I, we, we have to assume they had some kind of relationship. Right. So Saul talks himself up in the car. Seems to be one of his M.O.s. He talks to himself like he's coaching himself. And he gets to a payphone and makes five more payphone calls, this time to, to Nacho. And, again, I think this is all just like Fargo. It's the fake kidnapping and the ransom, and it's trying to be called off that time that's too late to call it off. But then the cops come because they must have been monitoring Nacho's phone or something. Nacho must already be in custody. And um, Saul runs, but he gets caught. Did you think these guys were bad guys or cops when you first saw them, Kelly? Uh, I thought it was very much like one minute where he's looking in his rearview mirror and he's seeing two guys coming from different directions. Uh, and I figured that it probably had to be Nacho that had sent them. But there's a couple interesting things on this scene is uh, one of our listeners, uh, Armanda Sepitha, he was explaining because he lives in New Mexico. So he was explaining to me that this payphone, which are fake, uh, is on 7th and Central. So it's about a couple blocks away from where they filmed uh, Tuco's hideout. But another person had pointed out when you look closely at this phone booth that there's JP written on it, kind of scrawled like it was Jesse Pinkman maybe leaving his mark there on the payphone. But one thing that's cool, and you, and you guys that are listening can call this number. It's 505 505- Two four two six zero eight seven, and if you call that, you'll get a special excuse me, a special message from Nacho. So you might want to check that out. But so we do see Nacho now. He's in jail in the questioning room or the inter- interrogation room, and we find out what he was doing. He was casing the place, not 
committing any crimes. He was just checking it out. And um, so, like I said, hasn't quite reached his lawyer chop yet. He can knock his sentence down to 18 years. Like, wow, great deal. Thanks, Jimmy McGill. <laughs> I like the way he really slickly said that, too. Like, I feel confident I can knock it down to 18 years. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, wow, great. Yeah, Nacho's really getting tweaked by the cops. They're picking on him, even though he's he probably is innocent. He he really just was just watching the house. He wasn't really committing any crime yet. Not that he probably wouldn't have if he had enough time. But he tells Jimmy, get me out of here today or you're dead. Yeah, I like Michael Mandel. I like his character. I like I like the way that he is very calm, cool, and collected. He doesn't speak for the first few minutes unless uh, Jimmy McGill just ramble on. Uh, and I can see how he would think that Jimmy had put him up to this. Yeah, he's pretty menacing. And the, the, it's almost like the way Todd was menacing in a quiet way. It's almost more threatening by being more calm and quiet. Right. So Gilligan's doing it again, Kelly. He's putting the time constraints to pressurize this whole situation. Like, you have till today to get me out of here. So there's not only the whole problem of the fact that he's in there and the whole problem that the Kettlemans are missing and all this. It's that he has time, a time limit. The clock is running. He needs to do it fast. All right, so we see Saul and Kim again, Jimmy and Kim. She's worried about him, um, but she's also worried about the Kettlemans. I don't know. What do you think of this? Do you think, do you think Kim really cares for Jimmy? I do, but I think she's also very career-minded, and I think that uh, possibly because he's kind of guilty by association with his brother having some major mental problems uh, that sometimes Saul can, or Jimmy can come across a little crazed as well trying to explain this, spin this theory to them. So they get, he gets them to show him the Kettleman's house and everything looks normal until they see JoJo's doll is missing, a little, little girl's doll. And Saul's pretty good at detective work here, better than the, the the detectives themselves, right? Right. I thought that was great. Really good observation he made. So, Kelly, what do you think happened? Do you think they ransacked their house on purpose? Or do you think they just left and then somebody else came in and messed up the house after they were already gone? I think that they probably heard that phone call and decided they should probably take off. And like a lot of people do, they try to make it look like it's a stage scene. So they try to make it look like they were burglarized or maybe somebody came in after them. But definitely, I thought it was an inside job. But pretty, again, kind of stupid, right? Why would you let the little girl take her doll and it's, it has a stand, it's empty stand is sitting there? Well, the one detective did explain, like, well, if she was crying and the crazy psycho gave it to her to stop crying, there was a way of explaining it. But, you know, they, they didn't seem to believe Jimmy at all. They, the detectives? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So these little Kettlemans, they're sly bastards. They are one step ahead, we're going to see. And it appears they did kidnap themselves. But Saul admits to Kim that he warned them. He tried to call them and warn them. And I guess this is where she asked, did you use the sex robot voice? <laughs> which she must be familiar with. <laughs> yes. Now, Kelly, they're outside in the driveway talking with a boat right behind him. I thought for sure the Kettlemans were inside that boat. Oh, I didn't even consider that at all. It looked like a pretty nice boat, like the kind you have like a cabin inside that you could live in. Right. I'm sure some of their spoils of, you know, presumably being innocent, and we know that they're not, 
I'm sure they bought that boat with some blood money, per se. Pretty good giveaway that you have a boat, a really Mm -hmm. nice boat sitting there. But we do see that they're into camping. There's a sticker on their window of their car, the family camping stick figure sticker. So so Saul tries again to save them uh, by talking to Nacho, and we see more Mike again. I guess he owes Mike now because he blasted through the gate the last time. I don't know how he's going to pay him back for that. But now Mike won't even let Saul park there. So Saul just parks his car in the in the way, in the gate itself. And that's that scene we saw from the previews from before the first episode. Right. Uh, Mike subdues Saul in about four seconds, too, by the way. Mike's still got those skills, those uh, rough guy skills. Yeah, Saul, Jimmy, he completely underestimated Mike. Because Mike looks like, like an old guy kind of just sitting there being a security guard or a parking lot attendant or whatever, not realizing that he was an ex-cop and could take him down rather easily. Yeah, it's too bad. Poor Mike looks actually older than he does in Breaking Bad, even though this is supposed to be several years before Breaking Bad. (laughs) But now Mike's talking to the the detectives. He's helping them uh, out. Um, And we can tell he doesn't like being touched. One of the the detectives kind of pats him on the shoulder and he gives him this evil look. Yeah, I like how the detective says, hey, man, you're supposed to be on our side, buddy. And he said, yeah, well, not so much, buddy. And it's really condescending to him. Like, you know, I'm not, I'm, I don't have your back. I'm going to do, I'm going to go with the way I feel is right. So these detectives are wrong, Kelly, and Mike kind of backs out from helping them. What did you take out of that? He's like, he's, he kind of changed his mind. Well, I know that they said, you know, we had him dead to rights, which we know is a Hank line. And we had uh, Jimmy saying, hey, Nacho was Nacho Man. And I think that he started listening, even though Jimmy's crazed or comes across kind of a a little bit off center, that he started to really see the reality of maybe they did kidnap themselves. Yeah, but Mike must see some opportunity here. He's not just bored he's not just like well what the hell i think he sees some opportunity for himself in this possible and um so cagney and lacy are stuck i guess uh they they got the names cagney and lacy now because they look pretty inept these two detectives (laughs) um so now mike's talking to saul and mike tells him he believes the kettlemans did kidnap themselves and anything mike says i'm going to try to believe because he's he's got that just that knack for knowing these types of criminal things Exactly, and this is where I'm hoping that maybe the parking lot drama is ending and now they're going to get uh, Mike out of the that repeat scene and get him maybe more involved with Saul. And I like the way that he says, you just quit while you're ahead, which is also another term we've heard him say to Walt in Breaking Bad. Yeah, and my rankings of the abilities of these cops are Mike's first, then Saul, then those cops. As far as detectiving skills, they're, the cops are the worst out of all the people we've seen. Right. So Mike knows they're still in the neighborhood. He says nobody wants to leave home. He's just common sense. He's so smart about that kind of stuff. And he references something when he was a Philadelphia cop, too. So he's using his experiences of when he was on the force, which is interesting to hear a little bit of his backstory. Yeah, do you remember what he said? He was talking about somebody who he was won the lottery, or I'm not exactly sure, but he was talking about how they took off and that they were hiding two two houses down. 
so that nobody likes to leave home. Yeah, it's like he never forgets. Anything that he can use sometime in the future, he always has it, like, ready to use again. Right, like his no half measures speech that he gave um, before. Yeah, right. So, so Saul takes this new knowledge and he investigates these kettlemans now. He's looking at their house again. He sees the camping detail and he looks out at the mountains and the trail and... Bingo. Bingo was his name Oh, He follows that trail and finds them. And now he calls and tells Kim this. And then he does his Here's Johnny 2. That was pretty funny. The Here's Johnny number 2 was funnier than the number 1. Right. And I remember seeing that in the ad. Like, what could that possibly be about? And it's all starting to come together. So I think they little a little over-exaggerated this wrestling of the cash bag. And the cash all spills out. And then that was, that was the end of it. And the credits rolled. But um, so we've got our caper here now, Kelly. This is going to be what we have to deal with, I think, through. And there's only 10 episodes, so there's seven more. So I think this is what we're uh, dealing with for season one, this cash and Nacho. And I mean, I don't even know if we'll see Tuco again, right? Or the twins? I don't think we'll probably see Tuco. I think that that was probably a, um, a great way to get him to introduce us to Nacho. I think that's what the whole thing was about. Oh, I got to say, too, while we're talking about Tuco, and sorry to go back an episode, but I found out that his Abuelita was played by Marion Cullen, I think is her last name, and she played Al Pacino's mom in Scarface. Oh, that's right. I heard that. That's pretty cool. They're getting everybody from that movie into this into this uh, Breaking, Breaking Bad Saul world. Right. I just thought that was such a cool thing, uh, considering how much we have, you know, how much that's referenced. Yeah. Who else is in that movie that we haven't seen? We've seen uh, Mark Margolis. We've seen, of course, Stephen Bauer. Don Eladio. Yeah. Uh, I guess maybe others will come up. I guess we'll have to wait and see. Yeah. They they were saying that the reason why they chose Tuco, because they could have chosen anybody. And I remember Vince Gilligan really liked working with Raymond Cruz, but he was saying that out of all the people that you could reason with, you can reason with Gus, you can reason with Crazy 8. Really, the only ones you can't reason with are probably the cousins or Tuco, so that he was an excellent one to bring in because they needed somebody who was going to be unreasonable. And we know that Tuco definitely fits that definition. Yeah, he served a pretty good purpose in getting Nacho into the game here. I like Nacho. I like his being smart and being kind of subdued as a criminal. Me too. Right. And I'm, I'm hoping, I, I think maybe they'll maybe bring Tuco back for here and there, but I, I think it was a gateway, like I mentioned, to get Nacho onto the scene. So that's it for uh, Nacho, season one, episode three, Nacho on West Coast Project for Better Call Saul. Kelly, uh, my Twitter handle is at Scathing Tweets. What's yours? BRBA underscore Fun Facts. And what about your Fun Facts websites? I have Better Call Saul Fun Facts and Breaking Bad Fun Facts on Facebook and then also on Instagram with the same name. And I put a couple things on for the first two episodes because I'm a little bit behind with the episodes airing and how we're doing this but so go back and check those out because there's a couple things that uh you'll want to know about those episodes okay great and those links are in the podcast show notes you can click on them and go right to kelly's sites and next week is episode four is hero so kelly until then that's about all i have for nacho unless you have any last final thoughts 
Nope, I do not. Just don't be a hero. <laughs> but do rate us on Facebook and um, iTunes if you if you can. That helps us get our rankings up. Yeah, give us give us your thoughts. All right, Kelly. So I'll see you next week after Hero. Sounds good. Talk to you then. Okay. Bye bye. Bye.